Lately, it feels like there are a lot of games that are coming out with offerings for almost every type of gamer. If you're looking for a blockbuster action game, then you could give Ratchet & Clank Rift Apart a try, and if you're looking for something new in the live service games department, then Sea of Thieves got a very nice Pirates of the Caribbean update that I have just started to dip my toes into. Now, over the last few weeks, there were two new games that I was able to sink some time into, including Tunic, which was part of the ID at Xbox Summer Game Fest demo lineup, and we give our review slash preview for the Zelda-like coming to Xbox, hopefully, in 2021. The other game that we sank some time into was Mario Golf Super Rush, which I was highly anticipating after a long hiatus from the series. Two reviews, one episode, this week on the Video Games Podcast. After spending enough time with Mario Golf Super Rush, I am left wanting more. But instead of wanting more Mario Golf, the desire is for everybody's golf on the PlayStation 4 and PlayStation 5. With all of the speculation of a new and improved Switch, many think that new hardware isn't required until it's needed for a flagship title like Breath of the Wild 2 or Metroid Prime 4. However, it's clear that we don't need a huge Nintendo title like this to fully display the power of new hardware, as Mario Golf feels almost outclassed in every aspect compared to Everybody's Golf, a game that was released 4 years ago on hardware that was released almost 10 years ago today. From the lack of tournaments in-game, the poor UI, lack of depth with characters, courses feeling empty, no in-game achievement system, outdated visuals, audio, and even the smallest detail including why is the flag always in the hole even when putting. All of these lacking areas is somewhat strange because Mario Golf Super Rush is developed by Camelot Software who created the original Everybody's Golf or Hot Shots on the original PlayStation way back in 1997 before development shifted to clap hands and Camelot moved on to Mario Golf. Mario Golf on the N64 had more characters to unlock out of the box, Advanced Tour on the 3DS had online tournaments, Toadstool Tour on the GameCube had 7 courses which is one more than Super Super Rush has at launch. Mario Golf Super Rush isn't a bad game, it's just not the one that fans were likely hoping for. After nearly 25 years of developing golf games, basically creating the arcade golf genre, creating 5 golf titles featuring Mario in the title across 5 different generations of hardware, expectations were higher than what was delivered even when compared to some of the previous Mario Golf titles. It feels like too many decisions were made in the interest of adding something new to the formula rather than to deliver a product akin to Mario Kart 8 Deluxe or Super Smash Bros. Ultimate. Give us all of the characters, give us all of the courses and all of the other 5 Mario Golf games. Give us characters that feel markedly different outside of their superpower instead of making it a celebration of Mario Golf across 4 decades which has a pattern of working with some of their high profile franchises. It seems another misstep in a Mario Sports franchise. One of the worst things about Mario Golf Super Rush is that in solo play, the game is boring and largely confusing. There are a couple of different modes, but the game doesn't explain which one will benefit you the most. Instead, it just explains slightly what the mode is. There is no offline tournament mode to unlock new clubs, balls, and other gear. You only have the option to play adventure mode, where you play with your me and you level them up until the story is over, which feels more like lessons as opposed to a story and a basic standard golf mode, which also feels lifeless. The game is built for playing with friends using either local split screen or online in a variety of modes. 
Sadly, the story mode is extremely boring. You're a rookie who needs to improve your skills. You leave your boarding house, follow a red arrow, and talk to some boring NPCs along the way who offer nothing of value. And trying to find your way using a very unhelpful map can feel like Nintendo is trying to hide the fun. When not playing adventure mode, you can select from 16 characters who have different trades but are all mainly focused for battle and speed golf and all have less pure golf traits. Most of the characters have very similar archetypes, for example, Bowser, Wario, and Donkey Kong are identical. If you want to use a player who has high control and spin, you would need to level up your me. and one decision that could have been made with solo play in mind would have been to offer XP gains for playing outside of adventure mode, but instead you get zero experience, which forces you to grind challenges for incremental gains in adventure mode. Why is the default elevation indicator just 1 to 3 arrows up or down instead of actual numbers? To determine your definitive elevation, you need to open up your binoculars and then try to pinpoint the hole to figure it out, which adds a very unnecessary step between you and having fun. Even the N64 version has actual numbers that indicate the elevation on the main screen. The shot bar also doesn't make complete sense as when there is a perfect impact on the shot, it can still pull to the left or the right because it was in the risk zone. The risk should be just that, a risk zone, but if perfect contact is made, why penalize the player? One of the best things about everybody's golf is after a long day, you don't have time to actually go out and golf to the natural sounds from a golf course that can be zen-like. Grass cutting, wind blowing, birds chirping, and the sound of your club hitting the grass and connecting with the ball. In Mario Golf Super Rush, you don't even have the option to turn off the music, so either it drives you up the wall or you play with the game on mute. Mario Golf Super Rush should have scrapped the story mode and just focus on making this the ultimate Mario Golf package. Story is not necessary for a golf title because for the most part players are happy min-maxing or grinding for the best equipment and trying to beat their previous records. It would have been a nice inclusion if Mario Golf Super Rush had some type of in-game achievement system for milestones that are hard, including hole-in-one, albatross, eagles, putts over 50 feet, chip-ins from a certain distance, and other tough feats that you can achieve on the links. During the Nintendo E3 2021 Direct, they did come out ahead of the release of this game to say that free updates are on the way, such as new characters and courses, and just adding an online tournament to climb your way up the leaderboards would be a very good start. Now, if Nintendo updated Super Mario Party nearly two years later with meaningful features, then I think there is still hope for Mario Golf Super Rush. But as of right now, if I am in the mood for a golf game, I'm going to turn on the PlayStation and play Everybody's Golf. There have been many times where the original developer of a game isn't making the game that people want, and this leads to companies filling in these gaps. Some of the best 2D Metroidvanias have been made while we've been waiting almost 20 years for an original Metroid. Metroid Fusion on the Game Boy Advance was the last original 2D entry in the franchise, and the long wait has left many fans of the genre hungry for similar experiences. Shadow Complex, Hollow Knight, and Ori all come to mind in games that not only match their inspiration, but in many ways surpass it, setting a new standard in the genre. 
The Metroidvania genre has been fully plundered at this point. Yes, there will be more excellent titles to come in the future, but there is no shortage for fans to find something in a similar vein. Nintendo also created the iconic series A Legend of Zelda, a series that started out as an adventure game and has evolved over the years into something of a much grander scale. The series has evolved to the point that the top-down style that dominated the 16-bit and handheld era has gone largely ignored. In 2019, Nintendo gave us a taste of what a top-down Zelda would be like in the modern era with the remake of Link's Awakening, and it left many wanting more. And in many ways, Tunic feels very similar to Link's Awakening, and that is not a bad thing. Unlike Metroidvanias, there have been very few Zelda-likes that have managed to capture the essence of what made the series so special in the first place. The whimsical, fantastical world that just begs to be explored and discovered as you uncover every stone and cut every blade of grass. You start out as a cute fox in a mysterious yet beautiful land. You are completely unarmed, have no protection, and nothing to your name. And if this sounds familiar, it's because this is the Zelda blueprint that seems easy to duplicate but in fact, there is much more to it. Across the beautiful landscape, you find signs which are in a language that you don't understand, which instead of being frustrating, they add to the mysteriousness of the lands, and you need to be careful about where you can explore early on until you find something that you can defend yourself with. I think there's a stick first, but I found the sword, which you can equip to either X, Y, or B, which is a small way that Tunic allows you to tweak how you play, but for the most part, the controls are simple and very effective, and they stay out of the way so you can enjoy the world. One small gripe is that you might use your sword frequently, but your alternative items you don't, and sometimes it can be easy to forget which button you map the item to, and this could all be alleviated with a small icon at the edge of the circle. Once equipped, your challenges get harder as you venture into dungeons in search of treasure and artifacts, but be wary, you will die quick and you will die a lot. You will die so much that it will push you just to the point of wanting to quit, but thanks to a very forgiving checkpoint system, you are instantly back in the action. The dungeons are excellent and littered with treasure chests and powerful enemies, but they are also filled with some Metroidvania elements, bridges that need to be accessed from one side before they can be used both ways, and the best part is that these remain set up upon your death. The smart checkpoint system combined with the Metroidvania elements make it feel like even though you might be dying, you're still making forward progress. One of the best additions that Tunic has made to the Zelda-like formula is the telescopes that are randomly placed across the lands. And these telescopes give you a zoomed out view to determine what exciting and dangerous things lie ahead. The telescopes come in different sizes which can affect how far you can see to get an idea of where your journey might lead you next. My experience with the demo ended when I found a way out of the dungeon. I was returned to the title screen, but I had barely scratched the surface of the world. Many areas that were available to be explored that I assumed I would go and venture to later, and this bodes well for the depth of the full game upon release. Between the score, the aesthetic, and the atmosphere the tunic creates, the game transports me back to the feeling of when I began exploring his Link back in the late 80s and early 90s. Tunic is not trying to hide its adoration for The Legend of Zelda. The similarities are glaring from staple items that wouldn't look out of place in a Hylian shop, cutting grass, and even down to the little green garb that the little fox wears. 
Tunic also does enough to feel like it has its own identity thanks to a lot of clever aesthetic choices and game design features. That's all for the Video Games Podcast this week. Hopefully these reviews helped you in some way to make a better decision. If you enjoyed the show and aren't subscribed, consider subscribing and remember to be nice to your fellow gamer, but more importantly, be nice to your fellow human.